Hello and welcome along to the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. My name is Ed McKnight and today I'm in the studio with Fraser McConnell. Fraser, how are you doing? Great, thanks Ed. Kia ora Ed and kia ora all out there listening. Fantastic. And Fraser is from two organisations, both Squawk Squad and then Upstream Daily. But he's got a bit of an interesting backstory because it starts off as a management consultant at PricewaterhouseCoopers, the big PwC, and then goes in a very unexpected direction. Uh, yes, yes, you're very correct. Um, yeah, and no, I started at PwC. Um, I spent a year at PwC actually working in management consulting, uh, which was a great sort of uh, dive into the back curtain of businesses and seeing how they um, perform. Um, but uh, on my journey there, through my journey there, I um, started diving into the startup space and looking for anything that I could um, get my hands dirty with. Um, I ended up diving into a startup weekend um, after. Um, doing a bit of work with some engineers to muster up some ideas, but took one idea to the Startup Weekend Auckland back in November last year. And uh, that was the beginning of Squawk Squad, of which we actually ended up winning uh, the social enterprise category for. Um, and I then used that as a bit of leverage as we had won prizes for uh, uh, you know an incubator and some co-working space. And I said, look, if I was going to do something, now's definitely the time. Um, and so um, I was given a three-month sabbatical to go pursue that. And after two months, I wasn't coming back. You're probably one of the youngest people to ever be awarded a sabbatical from PwC. <laughs> you know, isn't it usually you've got to work somewhere for like 10 years before you can go ahead and uh, take some time off? It wasn't um, It wasn't a straightforward conversation. There was definitely some um, hurdles to talk around. But no, the, they were great to be able to let me go. Oh, nice. And just before we jump back into the startup weekend, um, a lot of our listeners are potentially students and um, aspire to work for a Deloitte or a PwC. What's it like in your first year where you like you land pretty much um, the the trophy role that young some young professionals want or some university students want in terms of being management consulting, uh, being a management consultant at PwC? What's that year like? You know, what's it like working there? Um, I guess for me, I got to different perspective on it now that I've jumped out into the startup world. And to me, that's so much more exciting that um, I might give young professionals different advice. Um, But to get that corporate sense um, is highly valuable. And it's definitely given me a whole lot of a perspective um, of which I otherwise wouldn't have and might have gone a little ill-equipped into running and starting my own businesses. Um, But that first year, look, um, you're basically, you're given a lot of work and it, it, it does differ depending on which departments you're in. You can't speak for one and I definitely can't speak for the rest of the big four. Um, but yeah, it was fast paced and it was a lot of work and um, you're picking up a lot of stuff that you just didn't know. You're kind of thrown in the deep, deep end, which is great. Um, and you just got to learn how to swim pretty fast. Um, yeah, good way to pick up a lot of skills really fast and some really um, talented people. On the inside of that, uh, on on the inside of um, yeah, PwC where I was definitely. And what does your typical day look like as a management consultant in your first year? Um, typical day: get into the office after some sweet exercise, and you are looking at uh, working for different directors. Um, you know, management consulting uh, entails not you you're somewhat um, your own boss, where you're deciding um, or you're you're pulling projects from different directors. You don't have one person delegating more and more to you. It's actually you're working for several different people. So you've really got to um, manage your time well um, because nobody else knows how many projects you're working on. Um, you've then, yeah, maybe you're um, working for um, you know, a big education um, um, provider um, for one project and you're spending you know half your morning on that and then you're spending the rest of the day working for a, 
a large bank and then maybe for a telco at the end of the day. So um, yeah, a wide split and a lot of variety. And I guess that's the big pull towards it is that it's really diverse. Nice. And my only kind of experience of management consulting is watching, um, what's that program? Uh, House of Lies. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? I haven't actually seen it. It's not a great TV show. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a solid B TV show where they kind of just rock up to different CEOs and tell them what they should be doing. Is that really what it's like? Uh, I, I think uh, there's a lot of... Um, there can be a lot of strong-minded people, you know, saying, you know, this is what you should be doing. This is what um, is A, B, C, D, and E completely wrong with your company, and um, you guys need to fix it. But I think in a very PC way, coming from the person that's being paid for it. Um, so yeah, you walk and in, walk into some definite shit storms um, of where companies are currently at and the state that they're currently in, um, and sometimes you wonder how you're ever going to get them out of it. But um, yeah, really interesting. And in your first year, are you helping create these strategies for going forward? Or are you doing the research for it? Um, I'm just trying to get a sense of like what the actual day-to-day looks like if, oh, if yeah. there's a university student. Hands is, look, it all starts with what you're actually capable of. So you get handed more work, and the more capable that you show you are, the more work you're given. You might just start off by taking notes for a lot of people. You might start off with doing a lot of um, you know, collation of... Um, of feedback and putting it into themes you might be writing powerpoint slides and putting those together you know and it starts from there and obviously the more you show yourself um, the more that you're part of um, proposals the more that you're part of writing big project plans the more that you go into companies and maybe you're facilitating workshops um, for these big companies so yeah it's once again like i said very diverse fantastic but either way you decided to give it up after this startup weekend yeah yeah so like i said my perspective is a little bit um bias is you know I just once I dove into the startup world it all just got a hell of a lot more exciting and you know with it comes freedom with it comes um, the ability to kind of create something for yourself um, and that's really hard to 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 give up it's yeah it's rather than spending late at night working for a director um, you know past the hours of which anybody should be working you're actually working um, for yourself and it's very motivating to know that you're adding to something that's only going to build and in my case I'm quite passionate about um, you know, having an impact and a social impact that's you know great for New Zealand um, so to be working towards that for me is a lot more motivating. Nice and what out of interest what is the latest you ever had to work at Pete Up say? Um, actually look I was quite good I used to do a lot of training um, I actually um, uh, compete in taekwondo so i used to do a lot of training um late at nights that often stopped me but uh latest at pwc yeah there was one night when i was there at and this is very seldom but uh three four in the morning and that's just you've got a proposal that you got to get done and um yeah it's due in the next day so gosh you might as well just sleep under your desk rather than going home yeah but look that's a bad picture of it because um yeah it's nothing like investment banks i was often uh, usually there till I'd get home at five. Um, but often you can get on a project and be home regularly at eight. It just depends. Yeah, I've got a very good friend who works for an, a small investment bank, yeah. and she, m- most of the time she's at home. You know, twelve p.m. actually is that when she'll she'll get back. Uh, it's cra- crazy hours you work in some of those investment banks. So I can't yeah, understand no, I why. I don't get that. And just to, just to talk a little bit about startup weekends themselves, because um, we talked about it a couple of episodes ago, but perhaps not everybody um, out there listening knows exactly what a startup weekend is. Uh, how would you explain it? Yeah, sure. So a startup weekend is uh, you bring an idea or you just bring yourself uh, to this weekend of which we had about 200 people when we were there. 
um, and you pitch at the very start of the weekend. So I pitched the idea back then, which was Adopt a Trap, <laughs> um, now Squat Squad. Um, but basically, uh, for everybody that thought your idea was great, they then come up to you after you've pitched that idea and they want to join your team. And you basically have a conversation with them and you then kind of form a team organically from there. Um, we then from that build the foundations of a company, um, at least the concept of that company over the next two and a half days. And then by the Sunday night, we, uh, we pitch, uh, somewhat like a dragon's den style in front of a, um, set of judges. And then they choose who's the, the winner on the day. And did your idea adopt a trap? Did it change much over that weekend or what did it start as? Yeah, it did change, but not near as much as what some others did. Um, we actually did a funny thing where we went in a full circle. So we, at one point, had judges come up to us and said, we're too much of a charity and not enough of a social enterprise. Um, and we went away and decided to do something completely different, um, by which other judges came up to us and were like, what are you guys doing? That was such a phenomenal idea. So we kind of shifted straight back. So they talk about pivoting. We did a bit of a 360 pivot and then um, got back to where we were. Um, but to answer your question, we had a lot of, we actually had what was great over the weekend. We had a very, um, we had a, a, a technical sense of, uh, of a, uh, a girl that worked at or works at a sanctuary. Um, a volunteer coordinator so it was great to have some real on the ground knowledge um, and that really provided us with a great perspective and then you know we didn't have before that I had me and a couple of other engineers working on it and now we had developers um, marketers designers so to have all that knowledge come into one yeah it really um, turned into something um, quite ideal because the way um Squawk Squad or what was Adopted Trap works and correct me if I've got yep. this wrong is that you're getting New Zealanders from around the country or it doesn't even have to be in New Zealand but people around the world um, pitching in to pay for a trap that's going to catch and kill uh, pests that have been introduced to New Zealand that would otherwise be um, harming native birds. Correct. So those traps go, they sponsor traps towards sanctuary projects and those sanctuaries uh, then have the trap. So these people who fund that trap get to see where it's deployed. Every time that it goes off, they get a live notification on their phone saying you've trapped a rat or you've trapped a possum. Um, so we're trying to engage a lot more New Zealanders into uh, helping save our native bird life. Um, and look, I can go into if you want to telling everybody about why our native bird life is in trouble. Yeah, go uh, for it. Yeah, look, I guess this is the big spiel as to uh, why Squawk Squad started. Basically, um, our native bird life is dying in New Zealand. Nobody wants to see that, um, but we, we feel that not, not, not enough people know about that. Um, currently, you know, before anybody got to New Zealand, it was a land full of birds. Aotearoa was ruled by birds and reptiles, and we had no mammals. We only had a couple bat species, but that was it, no land mammals. So if you then think um, when we came here, we arrived on our, on our wakas and on our ships, um, one, we deforest and developed a lot of the country, but then two, we brought um, these pests and um, the ones that have been focused on to say that they're causing the most harm are, are the predators, including possums, rats, and stoats. Um, and so every year, 25 million uh, native birds are killed by these pests. Um, and we currently have 77 bird species threatened with extinction. Um, so to watch all this unique, amazing wildlife of what it once used to rule the land now being um, at the, the biting end of these pests, um, they're going to die if we don't do anything about it. You'll see our kiwi extinct within 50 years. 
Um, and you know, there's only 160 kākāpō uh, left in New Zealand and uh, 300 tākahe. Um, so again and again, all these amazing species that we have on our on our um, you know our, our cash bills, you know our five dollar, ten dollar, whatever it is, um, they're going to be gone. These national identities. So we're here to stop that, and we're trying to engage as many New Zealanders in the process as we can because we believe it takes a country um, to really help protect our country's wildlife. Um, so that's how we do it. We really try to engage a lot more people, but I guess the interesting part of it is that we're really utilizing and leveraging New Zealand tech. Um, so we use a trap um, that instead of being just a wooden box that snaps down and um, only fires once, which means basically, this is traditional trapping, um, that basically means that you have to go check this trap every single week um, or the trap line that it's in every single week um, whether it has or hasn't caught anything um, because you need to know that it is defending your native birds um, uh, we're giving we're providing a gas powered trap so it's gas powered with a little co2 canister good nature trap made out of wellington um, and basically means that it can fire 24 times without needing any servicing um, and we combine that with a sensor um, from another company in Auckland called Encounter Solutions um, and combining those two basically means uh, that you can see every time this trap fires or for a sanctuary you can see all these traps when they fire um, and therefore when they need refueling uh, so you no longer need um, to touch them for up to six months um, versus go checking on them once every week if they have or haven't gone off um, so that's sort of the um, exponential difference we're looking to make. 25 million seems like a massive number, especially yeah. given that, you know, we've got about four and a half million Kiwis. So like um, the Kiwi people, that is. So there are like six times <laughs> the number of birds being killed than there are people in New Zealand. There you go. And, and, it, and that's, it, that's every year. And how many sheep do we have? Don't we have like 40 million sheep? Uh, yeah. Is it four sheep or six sheep to every person? I don't know. Okay. But say it's 40 million sheep or whatever. Mm. That's like, like if you counted the number of birds that died every year, it'd be more than the number of sheep we have in New Zealand. Like that's a, that seems like a ridiculous amount. Yeah. But the huge. real question is who the hell thought it was a good idea to bring rats and stoats into New Zealand? Yeah, exactly. Well why did stoats get brought into New Zealand? I don't even know what a stoat looks like, but <laughs> so I already stoat, don't like them. A stoat looks like a, a weasel or a ferret, but a stoat was brought in to kill the rabbits. Um, which obviously was a shocking idea. Um, and yeah, rats came uh, just eventually, um, you know Norwegian rat came at one point and again and again. So um yeah, we're put against this huge challenge of which where we're bouncing off the back of Predator Free 2050, which is New Zealand's big, audacious, ecological goal, mm -hmm. um, which not enough New Zealanders know about, um, Ed. So uh, what it is is New Zealand has stated that they want to be Predator Free by the year 2050, um, which is really sad, uh, really sad that not enough people know about this because um, we're putting it up there with the likes of... of you know, worldwide or globally, it's being put up there against um, the likes of JFK's moonshot, you know, and it should be put up there with, um, you know, New Zealand being nuclear free um, or, or um, you know, the first woman's vote because to have an island of our size, um, you know, islands of our size, um, to have them fully predator free is a huge, huge goal to, to, to strive towards. But um, everybody's in it together at this point. Um, and we're trying to just bring more and more New Zealanders as well as overseas if they're, if they're wanting to, um, but we're allowing anybody to be involved with this, um, this battle against these pests with the simple swipe of their thumb.
so they can help save our native birds. Yeah, the thing I like about this is it kind of, it, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. You So you donate this trap and then every time your phone goes off and you're like, yeah, got another one. Like, yeah, that's another bird or another couple of birds saved. So say that each predator rat or whatever kills three, four, five birds a year, 50 birds, I don't know how many birds each year. Every one you remove, that's like, yeah, got another 50 in the bush. Yeah, definitely. You know, if, if you think about, you know, the accumulation of this, um, every pest that you stop, um, every press that you trap and kill, um, it means it's, it's stopping it from eating X amount of eggs and, and birds out there. Um, gift that keeps on giving. I like that one, Ed. Um, it's definitely one that we're looking for for you know Christmas special coming up later this year. That's not bad. You have to. You can use that one. I won't even <laughs> send you a voice later. Um, but the app is launching in. Uh, the app is launching at the very end of November, so that's when our first project install happens. So I, I guess to give a bit of history, um, we've had a project out there back in March. Um, out in the Waitakere Ranges, and that was just you know a minimum viable product. That was ten traps out there, and they've been firing since. And every um, every time it fires, it sends an email out to the people that funded it. So we had fourteen people fund ten traps. So I guess that's the other point: is each trap uh, you don't have to you don't have to buy the entire trap. You can actually purchase part share in that trap. So you can um, contribute a share of that trap to that sanctuary. So we're crowdfunding traps towards. Um, these sanctuaries but on your website the average traps about like say i think it's four hundred dollars and then you yeah. can do, you can donate to get like five percent of that trap which is like twenty dollars is that right yeah so 365 dollars is one trap and then to have a 20th share so you could be in there with a squad uh, but a 20th share is twenty dollars and the and the you'd mentioned before that it's a social enterprise as a as opposed to a charity but this is Squawk Squad itself is not a charity, right? No, Squawk Squad's not a charity. Uh, we believe that social enterprises is the way of the future and that you can have a lot greater impact by maintaining um, and sustaining profits in order to help yourself grow. And we want to see Squawk Squad grow as big as possible so that we can help as many birds um, within New Zealand as possible. And so how does the financial model work? Because essentially it's a for-profit company. Totally understand that because if you're getting getting profits, you've got a stake in it. You know, you want to see this succeed. And as you said, if you're building up the cash um, from, uh, it's like a 15% fee, is that right? Yeah, so basically 85% of everything that we fund um, goes straight towards the sanctuary field. And then there's 15% to cover the rest of our costs, our overheads, etc. Mm-hmm. And so if, we, if a trap costs $365 or whatever it, whatever it does, um, then is the 15% on top of that or is that, you know, that the trap actually costs whatever, 340 and then the difference is the profit or whatever it is? Yes, so there's 15% of that 365 will go towards actually helping Squawk Squad with all our overheads, whether that's, you know, so this is 15% away from the field. So that could be website um, maintenance, that could be, um, you know, salaries, etc. But all the stuff that you need to fund in order to make sure this uh, company can actually survive, right? Yeah, totally makes sense. Because I could imagine that there would be people listening to this being like, yeah, I'm sure there are other social problems that could be fixed using a similar model. And just want to know, you know, how does this actually work if we were to go away and try and replicate it, trying to solve a different social yeah, problem? Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting you say that because I know another company, um, Million Meter Streams, that actually use the same model of 85% go straight to these projects. They crowdfund um, uh, riparian planting um, of trees next to streams. Um, and they basically trees they plant by the stream and they try to replant meter per meter of that stream um and so that that, that's a similar model that might be used um 
for a, for another ecological goal. Uh huh. And so, how do you go from the uh, ecological um, kind of business that you've got, which is Squawk Squad, and then go into this television <laughs> business, which is what you're calling it, right? Uh, look, it's not a television business. It's just uh, the only label we could pick on Facebook. <laughs> All it is is a is a Facebook page. But uh, we're basically trying to open the book. This is this is upstream daily. Um, but myself and uh, co-founder um, Alex uh, McCall uh, decided to. Uh, take a, a, a slight change uh, of things. He was uh, working for, previous to this, he was working for a explosives company. He was literally blowing things up um, day in, day out. And he decided um, once he had been jumping into the startup space more and more, going to events, talking to people as much as possible, reading books, um, really seeking out um, something else to do, um, he decided this is enough um, and we both kind of mustered up. Um, what would it look like um, if we opened up this book um, of everything that was challenging the typical career path. Um, so I know I'm talking to a young professional crowd at the moment that may very well be wanting to dive into big corporates, etc. but we're very much... Attacking. Or maybe dive out. <laughs> or dive out, exactly. So so we're, we're very much challenging that and we're going, well, there's a huge amount of phenomenal people out there doing some outstandingly interesting things. Why isn't it shit enough? And we believe, we, we know we've got a lot of friends, um, a lot of our generation, um, you know, even more people... Um, from, from starting this that we've you know, again and again uh, uh, put in contact with, but basically they're doing a job nine to five, which they don't enjoy for five days of the week. That ends up being an entire year that you know, they wish they were doing something else, which we think is really sad. And we, we would love to see people doing things that they're more fulfilled by. Um, and we thought the first step towards that um, is all these really interesting people um, that were really just scratching our own back you know, scratching our own itches by going and talking to because they're awesome. Um, but if we can open up their stories and share, share, share them with people out there and say, look, there's different ways of doing it. It's not just the nine to five. Sorry, it's not just um, go to school, uh, tertiary education, jump in an office, nine to five. Um, you know, you've got incredibly interesting New Zealand founders, athletes, um, you know, chefs, brewers, um, you know, musicians, uh, artists, whatever it is out there. There's a lot of people doing some really interesting things. And if we can empower others, even just one other person to get up and do something a little bit more fulfilling, then we've succeeded in our mission. Awesome. So you're like, for 90 days, I'm just going to record interviews or short interviews with a whole heap of interesting people throughout the country and upload it to Facebook. Yes, correct. So basically it's a Facebook page and we've got uh, over the past 90 days, 89 days. Um, I think our last one's tomorrow, actually. Um, but our, our, over the past 90 days, um, we've had 90 interviews with, like I said, the likes of founders, freelancers, digital nomads, um, artists, and more. Um, and we also mirrored our own kind of journey along the way of us starting up our own startups, whether that was upstream of Squawk Squad. Um, and to make it more interesting, we're doing it all while living in a caravan um, in Wanaka over the winter. Um, so we were really getting out there to challenge the typical career pathway going, well, great, can we build startups, um, ski um, in Wanaka as much as we could and live in a beautiful place um, and then really share all these other stories of these incredible people. So how do you manage to fund the 90 days living in Wanaka? Uh, look, the, we've been experimenting with different revenue streams um, and we've had different sort of sponsors come, come in and we've been talking about different ways of uh, doing this um, and we're still experimenting. Um, so nothing's by any means um, um, funded um, 
fully and, and there's still definitely a scope to, to figure out how we're going to get more funding in. Um, so it's still an experiment as per any good startup is um, and uh, we'll keep kind of testing things out until we find something that's fully sustainable and keeps um, in line with all the values of Upstream. Nice. And how does a typical like sponsorship work for, for say, like Upstream? Uh, look, so you could have a sponsorship of you work with, um, you know, a, uh, a company that's wanting to have part of uh, Upstream's uh, daily video footage um, used for them as well. Um, so we could then have um, whatever footage we take of, you know, a, a series of founders, um, you know, whether they be part of startups or maybe the, the sponsor wants to explore the technology space of blockchain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we could run a series of those and once a week um, that upstream video could actually be a cross-pollination with this other sponsor and appear on their, let's say, Facebook page as well. Um, therefore, you have that cross-pollination of both um, and, uh, and then you're helping both parties and then uh, uh, upstream receives sponsorship due to that or uh, relative to how much exposure they receive from that. Um, otherwise, you could have things, um, yeah, a lot of what we've been doing is coming out as being social media consultants from mm -hmm. upstream as well. So that can be a side revenue to be earning from uh, while trying to turn upstream into a sustainable model as well. But there's lots of different ways to experiment with it. So I guess the way that first model that you explained works is that, say BNZ, I'm just picking a bank out of the air, is interested in blockchain or whatever, and you're like, cool, we're doing all of the, we're doing this series on blockchain, we're going to uh, take some video and then you can use it and you'll pay us for it. Is yes, that basically, basically how it works? and it's cool because we get to... <laughs> What's really cool about Upstream is that we get to promote all these awesome people anyway, and they're doing amazing things. But then I guess for that sponsorship, it's cool because we get to do what we're wanting to do anyway. We love blockchain and how it's pushing, mm -hmm. throwing society into the future. Um, uh, and then it would be great. We can find somebody else that it's going to benefit and they want to, A and Z want it to be um, front page of their Facebook yep. um, page every week. Um, and then we're... We're doing exactly what we want. We're cross-pollinating with ANZ and they get what they want as well. So it's just trying to help all parties or add value to all parties involved um, as per any sort of great marketing. That makes sense. And let me ask you, so tomorrow is day 90. Yes, correct. How are you going to celebrate? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, it's been a wicked 90 days. Um, uh, celebrating the wins is always great. And um, I'm sure we'll have a few, um, yeah, a few beers and a few... Um, uh, high fives, etc. Um, but uh, we'll be finishing off by turning the next week into a whole bunch of feedback and really trying to get feedback from our audience as to where they want to see Upstream going in the future um, and how they want to see it evolve. Because it's you know you can't can't um, you can't keep uh, throwing yourself forward without listening to obviously those that are you know, whether they're your early adopters or or your your most engaged. And so we really want to see where everybody else wants to see it go because there's a lot of flexibility to it. There's so much of it that we want to stay consistent with. Um, but we're also really interested to hear back from our audience. So we give ourselves a little bit, give ourselves a little bit of time to sit back, hear what they've got to say, replay some of our favorite um, interviews from the 90 days, um, and then work on where do we want to take this. And do you have a sense of where you'd personally like to see it going, like right now, just an early sense? Um, yes. Sorry, just drinking. Um, Water, not vodka. <laughs> Just so everybody knows. Yeah, hey, what is it? Twelve o'clock. Um, uh, no, I, I, I 
do have a sense and we've got some exciting things. Um, whether or not we want to share it all at the moment um, or leave some of it for, for a surprise is quite um, uh, interesting. Um, and I think uh, it's about how can you turn it into the most sustainable model, whether that's um, revenue earning or actually how do you make it easier for yourselves because imagine that 90 days of interviewing someone every single day isn't always the most oh it or can be a little time consuming um so we've got some interesting ways of which um how can we you know decentralize this to make it easier for ourselves um but still have as bigger or if not bigger impact um and uh yeah there's some really interesting uh line of sight for i guess the different people we could be um interviewing and how we're going to be interviewing them and um, yeah, I'll stop myself before I start giving you everything. Well, I was going to say, it's, what it sounds like you're looking to do is to have like a, a crowdsourced platform where people are submitting videos to you and you choose the best ones and then upload them and that gives you reach around the country. Yeah, it's a little open source and um, it's it's similar to that. I'll, I'll just say that much. Oh, sounds exciting. I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> and um, look... The one last thing I wanted to ask you is that there are so many interviews on the internet right now. I mean, like, this is one of them right here. And um, my, my personal opinion is so many of them seem contrived or that the same kind of bunch of cliche questions get asked over and over again. How do you how do you keep them fresh every day for those 90 days? Yeah, and it's, it's a good question because, you know, I love that we're having an interview right now. I love what you're doing, Ed. I love what Jake Miller's doing. It's great to see other New Zealanders getting out on the big you know, world stage. Um, but I think what uh, Upstream's all about is not talking to the people who have been there and done that. We're really about talking to the people that are out there doing it right now. Um, and we try to make it as easy as possible for them by getting to them and really getting to see the most relevant information of those people that are challenging these, you know, this typical path right now. Because as any good entrepreneur knows, um, you might think you know everything, but you get into it and you're suddenly going, you know, what's going on? Um, and to understand what they've kind of gone through, whether it's the hard failures um, that have smacked them in the face, or you know what's more likely just the regular failures um, or experiments that are going on, um, how they go about you know you know uh, dealing with those, um, you know what really is behind the curtain of it all, and um, also helping others to really um, you know be educated by it, be able to have take homes from it um, that they can use straight away. Um, we really go off the the three pillars of um, educate, motivate, and entertain. Um, so if we can include all those three things within within one um, interview, then we've ticked all boxes. Nice. And one last question, almost selfishly for me, what have you learned about how to interview differently? So how have you oh. how have you changed the way you interviewed at day one to day ninety to achieve those three pillars? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, uh, if you look, and I'll give you all the challenge to go back and look at day one of Upstream. Um, it was very much throw your head in and this was, you know, basically it was just straight to execution versus analysis. We're like, great, we're going to do this. We don't want to spend a huge amount of time planning anything. We're like, let's just get out there and talk to these people that we want to speak to. Um, and there's been a whole lot of, um, you know, iterations of, um, different gear used. We were talking about gear before this podcast, Ed. Um, but, you know, little things that you can change, um, you know, things such as um, what is, you know, how you're going to optimize things on, on Facebook and on social media, um, knowing that 85%, you know, little things like 85% of people um, watch 
watch their Facebook feed without any words. So how important captions are on your video. Um, you know, little things like making sure the audio is really, um, you know, great when it is listened to. Um, you know, taking up the most uh, uh, amount of space on a, a Facebook um page you know whether that's a, a square video or whether that's a full um, iPhone size video um, so again and again there's little iterations that were made um, in terms of the actual interviewing ability you get to watch your interviews while you're captioning them um, and you get pretty sick of lots of ums and ahs and uh, you get sick of um, always using the same oh awesome oh awesome oh that's really awesome um, so you can quickly figure out what you want to change in the next interview Oh, that's so classic. The um, the first five interviews that I ever did or episodes we did for the NZ uh, Young Professionals podcast, I always said fantastic. There you go. Every every yeah. like five <laughs> minutes, oh, fantastic. And I was like, <laughs> and I listened back to it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible because I do my own editing for these things. And you just think, why do I keep saying that? And I'm like, do I usually say this? Like, am I out at the coffee shop being like, that is fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a mate who does um, a, a similar series of videos and he uses brilliant all the time. Uh, and now uh, yeah. every time I'm just talking to him, you know, at a business meeting or whatever, he's like, oh, brilliant, brilliant. I'm like, oh, my God. You can see it. You're like, Russell, what are you doing? Oh, he might be listening. Sorry, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shout out to Russell. Oh, nice guy, actually. This guy, this guy's really interesting. Just uh, just to tell you a bit about Russell. Yeah. So he's, um, oh, he, he, I don't think he'd mind if I said that he was a middle-aged guy uh, with a couple of kids. This guy's amazing. Runs marathons, uh, is a soccer coach. But then every night he goes out and watches films. And then he's got his own Facebook page called Fish Fosh Films, where he like does a uh, selfie video uh, reviewing all of the films awesome. e- after every single time. Really interesting. Everybody should go go watch this. This guy's an amazing guy. Just go, go Russell. Everybody at home, go check out Big Russ at Fish <laughs> Fish Fosh Films. Fish Fosh Films. It is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Shout look, just out. before we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to share or say? Oh, look, I, there is actually something that I've been really excited about, and only because it's been so recent. But two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we we had a conservation week. Um, it was conservation week, New Zealand conservation week, twenty seventeen, and we were building up to Squawk Squad. This is Squawk Squad was building up to our launch, and we said, "How can we make this as big as possible?" You know, um, and and from that we go, "Well, great marketing borders, you know, any sort of advertising borders." So we said, look, how can we turn all that marketing into education? Um, and so what we did is we we built an education pack. Um, uh, for teachers across New Zealand. Um, and, and we didn't build the pack. We partnered with Doc, Zealandia, Predator Free, Forest and Bird and, and, and Moana. And uh, we basically grabbed what was all these really awesome uh, education materials across the net, but they were in the far corners of the internet for none of these teachers to find. And so uh, we pulled it all together and with a cohort of teachers, we kind of ran through some user testing and enabled it to be the the most easy to use um, Google uh, doc sheet that you've ever seen. Um, and then we, uh, we shot it out and blew it up on social media as much as possible. Um, and we thought it was going to be big, but we never knew how big it was going to be. And it was 
Uh, you know, we thought we might get a couple thousand students signed up, but within the first week, we had 23,000 students sign up. On day two of posting it, we joked about um, how many would have signed up, and then we realized uh, that we'd had a, we, we'd had on one, one particular teacher's page, we'd had a 155 comments within two days, and those were all comments tagging other teachers going, look, awesome, sustainable focused, conservationally focused materials, or just look, free lessons for week one we don't have to do anything you know first week back from holidays um and so it completely blew up by the time we started um the actual conservation week we had forty thousand kids signed up across new zealand um so we were filling the cake tin with four thousand kids outside um and that was across 770 schools um, across New Zealand. It's really diverse all the way down in Invercargill, right up to, to Northland. Um, and the really cool part about it is that we taught these kids all about predator-free New Zealand, uh, 2050, and we taught them all about our native birds and why they're so important. Um, and what it meant was they could all go back to their parents and, and you know their whanau and their friends um, and teach all of them. So we really pushed it for this to be how to education, educate a nation. Um, and uh, the great part of it was that um, from day one to the end of uh, Conservation Week, these kids had the chance to actually protect our native bird life themselves um, by going home and recruiting Farno and friends um, to sponsor traps with Squawk Squad uh, to our sanctuaries. Um, and it meant that you know they were really empowering themselves to we were empowering them sorry to, to save these native birds. Um, so we imagine we we had forty thousand squawk squad rangers, um, or potentially had forty thousand squawk squad rangers out there, um, really teaching everybody um, uh, as much as they could about conservation, and then trying to get them on board to help this predator free New Zealand, which was brilliant. Um, uh, I on a side note, uh, twenty three thousand kids signed up in one week. Um, of which we promised all these early bird um, teachers that got on board first um, that we would give them, um, we would give their kids free Squawk Squad wristbands, Squawk Squad Ranger wristbands. Um, we expected a couple thousand, uh, so 23,000 wristbands to try source within a couple weeks before Conservation Week is definitely a bit of a hurdle. Um, and so we had to get, first find somebody to fund it. And then second, um, once we got quotes from Alibaba, uh, we were also told that uh, China was on holiday for one of the two weeks out of the whole year that they're on a national holiday. Um, so we then had to figure out our way around that, which was brilliant. Um, but we made it. Uh, we got the 23,000 wristbands out after a long night of packing. And um, uh, we had a what was an outstanding conservation week um, where we had, yeah, the whole week we had video uploads from all these kids you know, making rat tunnels, uh, making Theo masks, going out and doing bird sightings, um, you know, playing native bird uh, trading card games um, and, you know, getting outdoors and really taking action in conservation, which was which was awesome. That's amazing because if we talk about uh, 40,000 40, kids, if each of those go out and recruit one, you know, one of their uh, parents or an uncle or something to even just give $20 to buy a 20th share in one of these traps, then we're talking about 2,000 traps across the country. And you mentioned that it's like, each of these traps can fire 24 times without being refilled. So we're talking about like, I don't know, I'm not good at math, but like 20, uh, like 48,000 um, times these traps can fire. Yeah, that's 48,000 rats that we're potentially getting rid of on just one refill. 
And I don't know how, and you said, okay, they refill um, potentially once every six months. So we're talking about almost 100,000 rats per year based on that marketing campaign if you get that conversion rate. There you go. Mathematics from Ed Knight, McKnight. Um, uh, look, uh, that is exactly how um, we're trying to um, you know, get rid of these pests is by engaging more New Zealanders. Because if we leave it up to a sole, you know, a, a sole couple, big organisations that are often underfunded, um, we don't nearly have as much of a chance as if we got a small contribution from the entirety of New Zealand um, that actually become engaged with helping save our native birds. And we believe New Zealanders, at the core of New Zealanders, they would love to help our native birds, but for many of them, they don't even know the state that they're in, and they're not even, um, you know, they're not even. Uh, aware that there's a problem out there um, so Squawk Squad's there trying to involve engage and connect um, a lot more New Zealanders in protecting our native bird life Fraser McConnell thank you for your time <laughs> thanks Ed